Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask the librarians. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Robin. And welcome back to the second episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians. Yay, we're here. Okay. We're, yeah, we haven't been canceled after the first episode. We're back for a not second yet. one. Not yet. Not yet. We'll see. We'll see if we make it to a third. So today we're talking about book to movie adaptations. This is a fun topic of conversation. I love it. I think everyone loves book to movie adaptations and the excitement of knowing your favorite yes. book is going to be made into a movie, right? It's an exciting thing. Or... You, yeah the dread that your favorite book is going to be made into a movie. Well, that's because a lot of times it ends in disappointment, right? Yeah, it does. So we're recording this episode before the Oscars take place, but by that time it comes out, they'll just have ended. And we both watched a film recently, Land, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which was adapted from... The book yeah. by Jessica Bruder. And I'm actually currently reading that book. I'm reading it for the pod for you listeners. And it is very different than the movie. It's a nonfiction title. It is a nonfiction book. It's an exploration of the nomadic life that a lot of people live. So what's the main difference from the book to the film, in your opinion? The most significant difference is if you've seen the movie, the main character is played by Frances McDormand. That character, that person doesn't exist uh, in wow. the book. The sort of quote unquote main character in the book is Linda May. And you follow her throughout all of the jobs that she does, everywhere she lives, every place that she goes. And you sort of learn about the nomadic life through her. And you learn a lot more about her personal life, her family. She's a wonderful, wonderful character. She's in the film film, right? She's she is, kind of yeah. that second character yeah. that's there. And that's the actual person. That's the actual oh, it woman. is. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Same with Swanky. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, there are these two sort of side characters in the movie. And the people who play those characters are the actual people. Yeah, non-actors. Yeah. The film is a slow burner. Mm-hmm. I started watching it. I'm like, okay, I was kind of tired. But yeah. it gets its hooks into you, it right? It does. You root for Frances McDormand's character. I don't remember her name, but you really root for her. And I think that they had to create some sort of like sympathetic character for the watcher to inhabit. So that's Nomadland. And what's yeah. interesting, it's a nonfiction to kind of a fiction. Yeah. You've seen, you know, nonfiction adaptations before. Moneyball comes to mind. Yeah. It's the Michael Lewis book about the Oakland A's. That's a book that I was shocked that they were adapting. They made a great film out of it. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. It's a great one. One of my probably favorite adaptations in recent memory. So this one's a little bit controversial. Last year, the Little Women adaptation from Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh and Emma Watson. I loved that movie. A lot of people really had a problem with it, though, because it wasn't the most faithful adaptation. But I loved it as a movie. What makes a good adaptation? Does it have to be every scene, every line of dialogue? No, right? Like for me, my favorite adaptation of all time has to be The Shining, which is the Stephen King novel, of course, directed by Stanley Kubrick. For me, one of my favorite films of all time, top three. But famously, Stephen King hates that adaptation. Interesting. Yeah, to the point that he funded a miniseries that was made for TV back in the 90s, I believe. And it stars, you know, instead of Jack Nicholson, you have like one of the guys from the wildly mediocre TV show Wings in there. (laughs) It was so bad, but Stephen King was like, no, this is faithful to the book and this is my vision. But if you're talking about art, it can't be by the book, no pun intended, right? You want to see an artist in the film medium take that book and turn it into something else that works for the screen. Yeah, it's a different object. It's not just an imitation of the book. Exactly. But I think that's where we get trapped though, right? Like if you love a book so much. I know. I think the Harry Potter thing comes up here, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to see every single thing 
thing that happens. Yeah. I don't care if it's a 10-hour movie. I yeah. want to see it all on the screen, but yeah. uh, it doesn't really work that way. As you know, one of my favorite movies, bar none, is the third Harry Potter movie. Yeah. But it is not a super faithful adaptation of the book. There mm. are huge chunks of the story that are cut out, and they rearrange a lot of stuff in that movie. I'm with you on that one. That's my favorite of it's that series. Yeah. I think it's, but it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. who was, you know, an art house director yeah. who followed up Chris Columbus on yep. the first two films, which were very faithful. Very right? faithful. Like, and those films are you probably can, the two most boring in the they, that whole series. Yeah, I agree. Well, the books are also probably the most boring of the no series. No doubt about it. So before we go any further with this conversation, just to prevent my fifth grade self from time traveling into the uh, future and kicking me in the shins, I have to say Jurassic Park is one of my uh, favorite adaptations. Just because uh, that book back in fifth grade by Michael Crichton was like probably the first quote unquote real book I read that was, you know, not R.L. Stein's Goosebumps. You know, this was a real book. It blew me away in fifth grade. Wow, fifth grade for that book. Yeah, my cousin hyped up the movie. He's like, yo, this movie's coming out with dinosaurs. <laughs> and I was big on dinosaurs as a kid. So I was like, I got to know everything. If you want someone adapting your book, Steven Spielberg's probably the guy yeah, to do it. Yeah, probably. But doesn't always go that way. No, sometimes they're bad there adaptations. There are a lot of bad adaptations, a lot of low budget oh. adaptations out there. Anything jump out to you? Well, I'll just say this. I tend not to watch adaptations of books that I love mm-hmm. because I'm really afraid of bad adaptations. And classic example is the Divergent books. Mm. It was a YA series yeah. that was turned into a terrible movie series. Yeah. One for me is Justin Cronin did the Passage series of In the Last Decade. It's a trilogy. He was his literary author, but I think his daughter put him up to writing a story about a girl who saves the world. So he wrote this epic, sprawling, post-apocalyptic series about vampires called Virals, but the books were being adapted, but it ended up being adapted for TV, mm. which is okay if it's on HBO, maybe FX, yeah. but it was being adapted on Fox, the broadcast channel, and that to me is just a kiss of death if you're going to put a show on network yeah. TV. Like, well, and especially like a sci-fi or a fantasy yeah. sort of thing, they just, you need a big budget for those types exactly. of Exactly, and you know, it starred uh, Mark Paul Gosler, I think is better known as Zach Morris from yes. And I was like, oh, I watched the first episode. I'm like, this is the worst thing. You're like, this hurts. Yeah. And it was canceled not long after. And, you know, just like do it right. Yeah. If you got a great book, please put it on a channel or a streaming platform that's going to do it justice. Right. There are a lot of things that we want to see adapted. Absolutely. So one that I know both of us have read is the Every Heart a Doorway series by Seanan McGuire, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting series. It's a book about special kids in a special school. Our uh, office mate. That's her favorite genre. Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Shout out Um, to Kelly there. Yeah. She loves a good special kid in special school story. So kids that live in boarding schools that have magical powers. Mm -hmm. That's basically what this series is. Kids who find doorways that go into different realms, different worlds. It is such a good series. But the books aren't like crazy long. They're like under 200 pages. Oh, yeah. You can read these some. You can read one in a day sometimes. If if you've got the time. Yeah. And like you said, each one is very different, very specific. And it may be the sounds on paper like a Harry Potter type thing, but it is totally it really different. No, it's yeah. a little darker, a lot darker. Yeah. I think that would be such a good TV show adaptation. Absolutely. There's some that I want to see that are actually are scheduled to come out. Kindred by Octavia Butler is finally greenlit. And this is a book designed for the yeah. screen, it seems. So that's finally coming out. She just announced recently that Viet Tang Wen's The Sympathizer, which won the Pulitzer in 2016, is going to be adapted for the screen. Uh, super excited about that. That's one of my favorite books I've read in recent memory. Awesome. So uh, it'd be curious to see what some of the listeners 
listeners think their favorite book to film or TV screen adaptations are. You could always, you know, comment on any of our Instagram posts when we put this episode yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or on the Facebook page, all that stuff. Send us an email, whatever. We'd love to know what your favorites are and we'll leave it at that. All right. Today we are joined by Venice Bobrov, a.k.a. Miss Venice, the wonderful, amazing children's librarian here at PCL. Hi, Venice. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I am one of two amazing children's librarians. That's very true. And thank you guys for having me on today. I'm super excited to answer your list of questions. We are very excited to have you too. Absolutely. So we're going to do the same thing as last month that we did with Amanda, our director. We're going to pull some questions from New York Times by the book column. And of course, you can get a subscription to the New York Times. Use our digital subscription for free on the PCL website. So go check that out if you haven't. So let's just dive right in. What books are on your nightstand? I don't usually read traditional books anymore unless they're graphic novels Mm -hmm. or picture books because the illustrations are Mm -hmm. important. I do mostly audiobooks, but there are two physical books on my nightstand. I always have Ender's Game by Mm -hmm. Orson Scott Card. I've read that book probably 30 times. Wow. Wow. So it's like a comfort food kind of thing. It is a comfort food. Interesting. And if I ever need help falling asleep it is comforting yeah i will reread it we've talked offline about this before about rereading books and i usually don't do it now that you mention it i do have my own comfort books and it's like the calvin and Hobbes collection i'll read like at least a strip every day that's nice I reread books all the time. I really enjoy it. So my favorite books, I've read at least two to three times, Mm -hmm. unless there was something in it that was just overwhelmingly emotional for me that I didn't want to go through again. I'm doing the stand for the third time again right now as well. So I'm one of those people who just really enjoy reading a book two or three times at least. You get something out of it each time and in different stages in your life. Well, I love this perspective. She's a good, she's a good librarian. She's a great librarian. Oh, thank you. We have a lot to learn from you. So let's move on to the next question. What's the last great book you read or a book that comes to mind that you really enjoyed recently? So it's a whole series of books. Mm -hmm. It is the Hidden Legacy series and they're like urban fantasy. It's a genre that I was unaware of. And during shutdown, I needed something kind of just light and fluffy just to get my mind off of everything. And science fiction, which is usually my go-to can be very heavy with allegory and metaphor and real life problem. Yeah. And you introduced these books to me in the fall. This is the Hidden Legacy series by Alona Andrews. And oh my gosh, it's such a ride. It's They're so fun. Really highly recommend. I actually have recommended them a couple times to patrons because of your recommendation. Yeah. The best way I can explain it too is I grew up reading a lot of comic books and it has a lot of like X-Men. Yes. Mm-hmm. tones to it because of the supernatural part of it. It also has a bit of who I love, Isaac Asimov, like the mystery, mm-hmm. trying to uncover like a conspiracy. And then because I am an adult now, it has a little bit of romance in it as well. It actually mm-hmm. has quite a bit of romance, but it does not overtake the whole no. story. Who's your favorite X-Men character? I'm a Gambit guy. I know that's like ridiculed now, but in the 90s, I, was there anyone cooler? Magneto. 
Yeah. He is probably one of the most complex, thoroughly drawn out characters in comic book lore in general. And my favorite series by Marvel is The House of M, which is basically about Magneto and his children. Yeah. And one of his children is actually Wanda. Yeah. So. WandaVision. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. And on the uh, Magneto note and the adaptation note, Michael Fassbender, Magneto. Oh, pretty good, huh? So great. I mean, incredible. Also, Ian McKellen. Yeah, yeah true. Apologies to Ian McKellen. Sir Ian McKellen. Sir yeah. Ian McKellen. I mean, both of them did a phenomenal job. Absolutely. Portraying Magneto and how complex the character is. Yeah, for sure. So this question might go along with what you were just talking about. I'm not sure. We haven't talked about this question before. What's your favorite book no one else has heard of? I read this book about five years ago. It's incredible. Very long. It is called Seven E's by Neil. Neil Stevenson. It is very hard science fiction. They go into the mechanics of space travel. If you liked the film Interstellar, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Awesome movie. McConaughey. Well, yes, yes. One of Jim's favorites. McConaughey callback. <laughs> yes. If you want to see the basic general feel of Interstellar in a book that's 800 pages long, Ooh. Seven Eves is the go-to okay. book. All right. I'm yes. interested. I'm going to add it to my to-read list. So you're a children's librarian, obviously. What kind of reader were you as a child? Which childhood books and authors stick with you the most? As a small child, I really enjoyed getting my hands on any picture books that my parents made available. My mother rarely took me to the library. She would just purchase these subscriptions to like the Bernstein Bears and just get all those paperbacks. As a teenager, though, when I really started my long love affair with literature... (laughs) (laughs) was actually R.L. Stein. Oh, yeah. Same here. The Fear Street series, I would read one a week at yeah. least. And that's also started my journey on rereading oh, books cool. as yeah. well. So are there any subjects you wish more authors would write about? Yeah, obviously monster vampires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the monster vampires. All the monster vampires. I actually realized coming from Own Voices panel, and Own Voices is movement where it's really trying to promote authors of underrepresented populations to write books and characters that share similar perspectives and lives of their own, not necessarily like a memoir or a biography. And Linda Sue Park, amazing Amazing. local author, Newbery winner, she had discussed why she started writing about Korean characters in her books. And then I realized growing up, I had never read a book with a Korean character in it. I am Korean. I'm also adopted and I have never read a book from the perspective of adopted Korean child before. And I just think it would be very interesting to read somebody else's perspective. It would have been very helpful as a teenager, middle schooler to hear that perspective just because it is a unique perspective that I think could be very helpful for other people who have a similar experience just to hear like, oh, I feel this way. Oh, I want to go back to Korea. Oh, I don't want to go back to Korea. I think that would be interesting. As an adult, I can find more stories on adoption. So to be very specific, I wish that children's authors and YA authors 
would write from the perspective of an adopted child more okay. often. What book do you think people would be surprised to find in your child? Well, The Killer Angels, it's a historical fiction based on just the Battle of Gettysburg. Huh. I was so obsessed with the Civil War in college randomly. I even, after I read this book, this is how much this book influenced my life. My friend and I, we went down to Pennsylvania to Gettysburg and we're trying to stand in the same places as all the characters in the book. Each chapter is a different perspective from a different general or soldier wow. leading up to Gettysburg. It's very much like World War Z by yeah. Max Brooks. Okay. Different perspectives. This is not a zombie apocalypse. It's the Battle of Gettysburg. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little different. Yeah. And the author actually took diaries and other primary sources and tried to write from the general's wow. voice. Wow. So, it's very interesting. I Yeah, I don't know about you, Robin. Cool. I didn't know about this Sisvanese Civil War aficionado Here, stuff. You have so many varied interests. Cool. All right, let's finish this up with the last question. So you're organizing a literary dinner party. Which three writers, dead or alive, do you invite? First is going to be Kurt Vonnegut. I think he Love would him. be so funny. Yeah. And he's so knowledgeable. And he lived around here. So we could really just talk about Letchworth and things like <laughs> that. My second author, I follow on Twitter. Incredible Twitter handle. It is Stephen King. The one and only. Yes. He is also surprisingly hilarious. Yeah. He's my favorite author to follow on Twitter. So I think having him at a dinner party would be incredible. It'd be so entertaining. Mm -hmm. And then the last one would be... Alona Andrews? Yes, absolutely. And the thing about her slash him huh? is that is the pen name for a couple. Yes. Yeah, a married couple. They write The Hidden Legacy. Hey, hey, wait a second. You're trying to squeeze another person into this dinner party? That's cheating. Uh, it's okay. We'll let it slide this time. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so obsessed with The Hidden Legacy series, I want them at my dinner party so I can tell them what should happen to their characters <laughs> and who should have more babies mm -hmm. and who should have more magic powers mm -hmm. and um, there's an underlying conspiracy running through the whole series. And you just want to know what the end is? Well, that and I want to help them write the... Oh, sure, yeah. Yes. You and I have had a lot of conversations about this series and yes. what the answer to the end will be. Yeah. And I would love to sit in on this dinner party just so I could... Yes. <laughs> I mean, Kurt Vonnegut and Stephen King, they could oh, yeah. entertain each other. They would have so much fun talking. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So that sounds like an incredible dinner party. I'm super excited. Good party. Well, Miss Venice, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I do want to add something. I'm really excited because May is Asian... Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Yes, it is quite the mouthful. It is. <laughs> and as I had said earlier in the podcast, I am a Korean American. And I wanted to share a few of my favorite books that either feature Asian characters or are written by Asian authors. First is going to be a picture book. I am a children's librarian. I do have a passion for picture books. It's a book called Drawn Together by Min Lee. And it is about about a boy who goes to visit his grandfather. His grandfather does not speak the same language as me. They're both Asian, the characters. And the boy starts drawing and the grandfather can also draw. So the way they can speak to each other is through illustrations. It's awesome. So it's one of my favorite picture books. That sounds lovely. And then for the older kids, one of my favorite chapter books for like a fourth, fifth grader is The Dragon Pearl. Whenever a kid comes up and says, 
says, oh, I really liked Rick Ryden's novels. Well, this is one of his, like, Rick Ryden Presents. Okay. And it is a... Hold on to your horses, folks. <laughs> it is a science fiction Korean mythology children's book. Woo. That sounds yes. like I'm into it. an excellent book. And there are characters that have gender neutral pronouns in it. It is an incredible book, especially if you would like to know a little bit about Korean mythology set in space. That's yes. a, you keep adding more to this. I love it. Absolutely. Celebrate Asian Pacific. American Heritage Month. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for stopping by. Yeah. And now let's pass the microphone over to Mel, who's going to tell us all about this month's featured programs at the Pittsburgh Community Library. Thank you, Jim. Please remember that registration is required for all programs unless stated otherwise. For our featured programs this month, we have an all-ages program called Dances of India Workshop. Join the teaching artist of Anjana Dance Company as they introduce you to Indian culture through dance and music. Thursday, May 13th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. For our featured teen program, we have the Take and Make Kawaii Notebook, which will be held on Monday, May 24th from 3.30 to 4.40 p.m. Join Laura and Miss Venice on Zoom for simple instructions. All materials will be provided. Supply pickup begins Monday, May 17th. For our featured adult programs, we have a new book group called the Biography and Memoirs Book Group. You can join others in a Zoom discussion on Tuesday, May 4th from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. The group will be discussing Just Kids by Patti Smith. Copies are available at the Circulation Desk now. You can hear Kim Bixler recount the joys and pitfalls of owning and living in a Wright-designed home on the Growing Up in a Frank Lloyd Wright House program on Wednesday, May 12th from 7 to 8 p.m. You can also catch our 90 Feet Under What Poverty Does to People program on Tuesday, May 18th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. where you will hear from John Strazabasco, a high school math teacher for 33 years in the Pittsford Central School District, talk about the severe impact poverty has on everyday life. For more information on our programs for May, you can pick up a pamphlet at either the Reference, Children's, or Information Desks. Our Friends Book Sale will be held on Friday, May 14th and Saturday, May 15th from 10 to 5 p.m. Please note that the library will be closed on Saturday, May 29th and Monday, May 31st for Memorial Day. Jim, Robin, back to you. Thanks, Mel, for telling us about all those awesome programs coming up. I'm really excited about the Indian Dance Workshop. I think that's going to be super interesting. Yeah, it's a nice full slate of May programs. A lot to be excited about. I have something I'm also excited about. It's not so much a program, but a service update. The Pittsburgh Community Library now offers the Washington Post. Yes, this is super exciting. Yeah, digital subscription. You can learn all about it on our website. So this is now the third periodical that we offer free to our patrons to go along with the Wall Street Journal, which was also a recent addition, and the New York Times, which, of course, we added last year. Okay. May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. We wanted to recognize that by shouting out some of our most favorite Asian American and Pacific Islander authors. And I think this month you can come check out the display we have down by the new books. Absolutely. I'm going to start out. I have one that I just finished maybe a month ago, Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. It's a series of essays. She is a writer for The New Yorker. She's so excellent. I've been reading some of her work for maybe six, seven years, and she's got this such a unique voice 
that I haven't really heard anywhere else and I think is going to stick around as a voice of our generation. She's really great. It's a series of essays, deconstructs a lot of different things like the literary heroine, reality television, the commercialization of fitness, social internet, which is something that I'm always very interested in discussing, the wedding industry, and then pop culture feminism. So if you're interested, you don't have to read all the essays, but there are some that really stand out in there. It's funny, self-aware. It's one of those books that really stands out and that I think about a lot after I've read it. I love that, A Voice of a Generation. That yeah. was a very popular book when it came out. I know it was on a lot of lists. And okay, such. Yeah, it was uh, really great. And I think you can get your hands on that right now. So I just finished Interior Chinatown by Charles Wu. And to give you an idea of it, I want to read a little bit from Jeff Vandermeer, who wrote the review for the New York Times. So he said, Interior Chinatown posits that we are reading a teleplay about Chinatown, specifically the Golden Palace restaurant, which is the setting for a cop show called Black and White. Through his protagonist, Willis Wu, who has a small part in the show, Yu explores in devastating and darkly hilarious fashion Hollywood's penchant for promoting cliches about Asians and Asian Americans. Wu has worked his way from background oriental male to dead Asian male to generic Asian man number three slash delivery guy, a long way from kung fu guy, which is where he wants to be. Although the lacerating humor in interior Chinatown never skips a beat, what makes the novel so compelling is its strong commitment to characterization, without which the pointed commentary would be less potent. So Wu, who has published previous books and wrote for HBO's Westworld, he won the National Book Award for Interior Chinatown. I remember, Robin, when you broke that news to me earlier in the year. So for me, this is kind of bouncing back to the book I recommended last month, Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar, where it has a lot to do with identity as an American, right? And what does it mean? And why are some, specifically non-white, left out as American? And it actually got me thinking about a speaking engagement that Brendan Kiley and Jason Reynolds, the authors of All American Boys, which is a super popular YA book, great book at the Irondequoit Library. And they did a whole talk, the book's about police brutality and, and what it means for the black community. Kylie's white, by the way, Reynolds is black, but they finished with a quote, Reynolds speaking for himself. He said, when you think about the title of this book, All American Boys, think about why in your head you're thinking of one of us when you hear that term, All American Boys, and not mm-hmm. the other. That hit home for me and it connects to this book where why are people who've been in the country for 200 years not considered quote unquote American? It hits hard and it's worth reading. I couldn't recommend it more. I think it's super deserving of the National Book Award and highly recommend. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome book. For my second recommendation, I wanted to hit a little bit on one of my favorite types of books that not a lot of people necessarily have the same amount of love for that I do, which is poetry. I'm a huge fan of poetry. This is a collection of poetry by Chen Chen. It's called When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a List of Further Possibilities. It was actually published by a local publishing house, Boa Editions, and it came out in 2017. A lot of people don't love poetry because they don't get it Mm -hmm. or because they don't necessarily want to read a whole collection of poetry. But this is not something that you have to think really hard about. And that's not to say it's not complicated or interesting or great poetry. It feels more approachable. I actually went to a reading by Chen Chen with one of our former coworkers, Mm -hmm. Adrian, little shout out if she's listening, (laughs) in August of 2019, hearing him read, it was something else. It really brought the poetry to life. It touches on identity in so many ways. He's Asian American, he's an immigrant, he's queer, and it touches on his childhood. So his experience growing up queer and how it felt to be not necessarily rejected, but really seen as other. And he talks about not really remembering what it was like to emigrate, hearing stories about it from his parents and what that experience was like for the rest of his family that they were leaving behind. I feel like he does have a really unique perspective. He has a wonderful voice and tone that really draws you in and shows you how he feels about who he is and about the life that he lives and his place in the world. Really highly recommend. 
All right, so my second recommendation of the month is The Committed by Viet Thanh Nguyen, which just came out recently. And a little quote here. This is Ron Charles in the Washington Post says, In 2015, a professor at the University of Southern California published his first novel called The Sympathizer. The story was a cerebral work of historical fiction and political satire cleverly infiltrated with cultural criticism. Although cloaked as a thriller, it didn't fit neatly into that popular genre and could have slipped by as unnoticed as a good spy. Except that the author, Viet Thanh Nguyen, was too startlingly brilliant to ignore. The sympathizer flushed color back into those iconic photos of the fall of Saigon and recast the worn lessons of the Vietnam War through the eyes of a communist agent hiding in the United States. An instant classic, the sympathizer swept through the year's literary awards, winning a Pulitzer Prize, a Carnegie Medal, the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, the Asian Pacific American Award, an Edgar Award, and more. So that was the first book. This is for The Committed. Tweed Din for NPR wrote, More intimate in setting than the sympathizer's transcontinental scope, The Committed employs the motif of organized crime as linkage between the various demimons populated by disaffected Algerian immigrants, maternal Cambodian prostitutes, and nostalgic Vietnamese thugs all living in France. From a satirical James Bond-esque spy story in The Sympathizer, the author shifts to James Baldwin's intersectional politics in The Committed to address greed, prejudice, and violence. This author, Viet Thanh Nguyen, he is seemingly at the height of his powers as an author. In The Committed, there's this part where it's like one sentence runs on for five pages. It works. It absolutely works. And you know, it's literary fiction, of course. He's super talented. If you're into literary fiction and just writing in general, you have to read these books. Good recommendation. Sounds like a good one. All right. So that wraps up our recommendations for May. So, Robin, the June episode, we have something kind of fun. It's a little different. It's a little different. It's kind of interesting. So neither you or I have ever read a James Patterson book, right? That's right. Yep. And he must own more real estate in the library, in any library. I think so. He's in... We have like almost two full shelves of James Patterson novels. Yeah, it's just in adult fiction. In the adult fiction He's also in nonfiction. He's in YA. He's in kids. He's in kids. I think he's also in the bathroom. He hands you a mint when you come out. He's... He's really got the corner on every market in the library. But we've never read a James Patterson book, so we're going to do it. Yes. And we want you listeners to yes. join us, right? Yes. We would love it if you read along with us. We will be reading Along Came a Spider, which is one of his early books. There's a film adaptation of mm-hmm. it, uh, Morgan Freeman, I believe, Ashley Judd. I might watch that too. So, And we're also yeah. going to invite one of our colleagues here, Roberta, to yes. join in on the discussion. She will be coming along for the ride. So it should be a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Love him, hate him. Pick up the book, get it on hold, listen along with us. This has been such a fun conversation conversation today, Jim. It was a lot of fun. Episode number two of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians is in the books. It's crazy. And we're coming back for episode three, right? Yeah, we are. Excellent. So we're gonna have that Patterson conversation. We'll have recommendations again. We'll have another conversation with a PCL staffer. Yeah, yep. I believe Kate Procious, the assistant director. Yeah, and Kate is awesome. So that will be such a fun conversation. I'm really looking forward to talking Same to her. Same here. So until next time, this is Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarian signing off. We'll see you later. Later. Thank you to Meldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, our IT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music. The Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects. And to the New York Times for the use of the Buy the Book column. Find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app. Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask the librarian.